my name is Andrew Bolton, and this is the Pros and Content Podcast. I'm the Chief Client Officer here at Notch, and on the Pros and Content Podcast, we'll be featuring a series of truly remarkable content leaders who believe in storytelling and who have different perspectives on the importance of measurement, scalability, and the optimization of content. Welcome back to Pros and Content. Today, we have Shade Vaughn, the North American Chief Marketing Officer of Capgemini. As CMO, Shade faces a lot of challenges not the least of which being establishing his brand in a super competitive market. As a professional services company that serves almost every industry, Capgemini certainly relies on the power of content to make their mark. Shade talks to us about how content helps define your voice, reach customers at exactly the right moment, and prove your value to the people who you want to work with. He also notes how he's doubling down on his digital strategy and tells us his vision of the future of B2B marketing. We hope you enjoy. joined today by Shade Vaughn, who is the North American CMO at Capgemini. Um, so welcome, Shade, to the show. Thanks for having me, Andrew. I'm thrilled yeah. to be here. Yeah, really excited. We were, uh, we were just catching up. Uh, Shade is down in Austin, where it's about 100 degrees. I'm in New Jersey, where it's about 95 degrees. Um, and we were bemoaning, you know, what are we doing with our kids and whatnot during these, these crazy times. Um, you know, for the uh, the listeners on the show who may not be as familiar with with Capgemini, why don't we just start off with a little bit of overview of the business, um, and then love to hear a little bit about your background and what drew you to Capgemini, what 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 brought you uh, to the company uh, about three years ago now. Sure, that sounds good. So, Capgemini is a professional services company. We have two hundred and seventy thousand people around the world, uh, headquarters in Paris, France, and uh, about twenty thousand people based here in the United States. Um, so we serve companies, mostly large companies in every major industry, um, and all of whom are looking for ways to basically bring together their IT strategy and their business strategy, right? So think of it as technology-driven transformation and how do you evolve, whether that's to serve your customers better or whether that's to uh, rethink your supply chain or the t- types of technology that you need to invest in. Uh, to continue to grow and, and really innovate in your your uh, sector. So I guess the simplest way is we try to help companies become the leader of their industry um, and, and largely through some form of technology-driven transformation. Um, I came from an agency background originally. I mean, I can go back even further to that when I was I was pursuing an acting career in New York. But yeah, I saw that in the in the notes here uh, that that had a big impact on your success in marketing. So why don't we start there, actually, and then you can take us through the through the progression. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I mean, I, I share it in the in the sense of everybody. I think has has gone through their own journeys of figuring out what they were meant to do. I. I um, I majored in speech communications in college. I really just assumed I would go to law school or something. And I got a job uh, right out of college for an advertising marketing agency that was, and by all accounts, it, it was a dream job or it should have been a dream job because I, w- I had the, the opportunity to write ads and uh, participate in very critical new business meetings. And, so really and, like the creative side of things. Exactly. Uh, and I hated it. I just, I mean, to me, having to get up uh, every day at the same time and go to the office and, you know, clock out at the end of the day. And I just, it, to me, it, it felt um, very stifling. I mean, and, and looking back, I think I was just kind of immature at the time, but it felt stifling. And so I, 
I cracked uh, open the the idea that I would move to New York City and become an actor, um, a stage actor at that, and and make you know glorious fortune and and change the world. And I did that uh, very seriously, actually, for about eight years. Um, I was part of a, a theater company there called the, the Workshop Theater Company. Did I would say at, uh, at least a hundred off off Broadway plays over that time um, and loved it. I mean, I love uh, number one, I love New York City. I just, you know, the community of, of creative people and the fact that you can go out to dinner at night with people of all walks of life um, is, totally. is just it's awesome. Um, but I also loved just, you know, the the underdog's sense of, you know, you have to work harder than the next person to get where you need to go. and. Um, I think the acting, um, you know, eight years of of just being told time after time that you're not good enough, you aren't what we had in mind. Dealing with that failure um, is a is a good lesson for all of us, you know, to be able to pick yourselves up and and continue on and and believe in what you're trying to do long term and not get caught up in the short term obstacles. So. I, I eventually abandoned the idea. I had gotten, I, I was in a play uh, that was reviewed by the New York Times and they had, I got in the, I was in the photo that they used and they called me out specifically for my performance. And it got me um, an uh, uh, audition for the Gersh agency. And I thought, this is it. I've hit my I've big arrived, break. I've yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like it's all from here. It's, it's just going to accelerate. And they, they had me do a screen test. And then just, I never heard from him again. And I just, I mean, that to me, that was such a, a kick to the, to the gut because you're feeling like, okay, I've reached my big point. It took so much to get into a play that was reviewed by the New York Times. It was a good review. You get the meeting with the agent and then nothing came of it. And so that was kind of, to me, that was kind of the, the, the point where I realized, all right, unless you're willing to accept rejection for the rest of your life, you're, you're going to need to come up with something else. And so. I was I had a day job at the time uh, with a PR agency, um, and I actually I really liked the work itself. Um, we were serving a lot of uh, Fortune, let's say Fortune 200 companies in all industries. I mean, we had some really interesting ones, um, and we worked directly with the CEOs of those companies, helping them think through strategic communications and how to position in crisis situations or mergers and acquisitions. And I really liked that aspect of it, that you were seen as a, a trusted counselor to CEOs. And I, I took from that um, I, a life lesson that has served me well, which is whenever you're, you're thinking about a new job, I mean, you've, at the end of the day, you've got to be in a role seen by the CEO as, as critical to his or her success. And you've got to have a good relationship with that person. So every, mm -hmm. every job I've taken since then, I've, I've interviewed with a CEO and had a really strong, just philosophical connection about, you know, what, what we're all trying to get out of this. The fact that it can't just be about work, it's got to be meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I really liked the CEOs I, I've worked. I really like CEO I work with right now. I think he's just a, a fantastic, authentic leader. Um, but is that one I, of the things that drew you in? Yeah, a, a few things, Jim. I mean, I, certainly I would say the number one thing was, you know, working for a CEO that really wants to drive change. And, and what he said to me when I interviewed was, I want you to come in and just reimagine the marketing function today, mm -hmm. you know, in the services industry, marketing tends to be 
heavily focused in brand communications, events, uh, and sales support. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to attract industry leading talent unless you're really crafting a vision for where things are going to go. And so he offered the opportunity to come in and just completely reimagine it, you know, bring in um, new talent where we needed it, rethink the function that we play within the business. And, and as I, I mentioned, you know, establishing a, a role where we are a trusted advisor, not just to the CEO, but to the leadership team as a whole of, you know, how is these, these decisions that we make that we drive consensus around, how is that going to play externally? How is that going to play with our people? And how do we need to um, ensure that everyone is very clearly aligned around a single vision, a single purpose and mission, knows how to articulate it, and, and, and most importantly, is really excited about it. So I guess that was the number one reason, the CEO. But the second reason was, you know, having worked in the agency side of the house, after the PR agency, I, I went to uh, lead marketing for a number of digital agencies, um, Sapient, which became Publicis Sapient, mm -hmm. Razorfish, um, great group of people. Um, that it was very clear to me that we were all chasing sort of this this center around what they what we call business transformation. But essentially, what that means is big companies today need a partner that is able to combine a strong understanding of customer engagement, right? Uh, creating a relationship between brands and customers, somebody that can combine the technology chops uh, on the on the other side of the house to, to really drive the innovation that you need and integrate the types of systems that you need to pull together and uh, be able to create custom solutions um, for companies. Every, everybody is dealing with a different set of challenges. So being able to apply, you know, best of breed ideas and thinking from across industries becomes really key. And I guess to put it bluntly, it felt to me being on the agency side that the large global consultancies had a big advantage in that space. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the big players are the agencies, the in both both digital and traditional creative agencies, the systems integrators and the consultancies. And what I liked about Capgemini was it really did fit squarely in the middle. I mean, we're, we started out as an IT consultancy 50 years ago, more than 50 years ago in, in France. And now we're a 270,000 person um, global professional services organization that has agency um, talent that we, we use for both uh, strategic consulting, business consulting, and uh, customer experience but we also have deep technology expertise and we've got deep consulting expertise. So I, I liked it. I liked the fact that it was relatively unknown in North America. Um, so the opportunity to really establish a brand um, in our, in our country uh, was, was really exciting. Uh, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm been here just over three years now. Yeah, no, that's phenomenal. I think uh, that ability to take uh, a large kind of, brand that's been around for a while and be in a market where you don't have that awareness and you go to drive it and you can probably see very tangible uh you know short-term results in moving the needle forward versus you know some of these larger companies that have been established around forever like people know them they they're there and you're looking at very very small incremental changes um, from a success metric perspective 
Um, one thing I noticed was that the uh, based on your LinkedIn that uh, corporate communications and employee communications and crisis communications roll up into the CMO function. Is that correct? It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's that's funny. that's it's yeah. interesting because it's unique. Um, you know, we're seeing it happen more and more. This kind of combination of traditional corp comms and PR that used to report into a CCO or maybe directly to the CEO. And then the, the marketing organization either be blended together into one organization or um, starting to break down the silos between them, um, and specifically in the content world, because it's all about you know, promoting the brand. Um, and that has uh, a responsibility from the you know, corp comms, employee communications, investor communications, all the way down through the marketing message that's going to the actual consumer. So like, how is that structured and how is that set up for you guys? Yeah, that's so that's a great point. Um, and it is it is interesting. I remember thinking when I joined Capgemini that that was interesting, um, that you had one person um, for a region as large as North America that was was supposed to be the single point of contact for everything marketing and communications related. I came from a communications background, so that mm. that side of the house felt very comfortable uh, for me. I, I, I mean, I knew what type of talent we needed and and. Um, I, I didn't have any anxieties about being able to do that well. Um, the marketing side of the house, I mean, I, if you really want to break it down, I've only been in a marketing role for something like six or seven years. I mean, I, mm -hmm. it, it was something I moved into later in my career and, um, and I'll, I'll share a little bit about what we're doing and focusing on now, but I, I feel, um, genuinely confident that we're, we're an industry leader, um, in this behavioral, uh, marketing space, um, at least in our industry in a B2B, um, place. And the reason that I, I got to a point where I felt like we could do that was because I hired really great talent on the marketing side of the house. Um, and I learned from them. So, I mean, we, we brought in a, a true uh, marketing operations specialist, a true campaign specialist, a true MarTech visionary who could bring in all of the systems and partners like Notch uh, into our uh, environment and, and teach me how it all fit together. So I, that was the part for me that I had to learn on the fly. And um, as a result, a, a lot of the talent that we brought in in that side of the house, the marketing side of the house, was um was really key to where we are but it's it is very separate i mean our head of communications um who reports to me as is amazing um uh, but it it for this to work i have to be able to count on her to drive everything both internally and externally mm -hmm. help establish the the strategy help think through the messaging but you're right the the um let's call it the, you know, the experience and expertise that you have to have across marketing and communications are very different muscles. Um, and it, it's, um, in order to stay sharp in all of those, you really have to have strong leaders in each of those domains. Yeah, for sure. I think on the, the communication side of things, we've seen, um, a lot of our clients, um, the communications teams are becoming more and more robust. Actually, our client at, at, at uh, Walmart always talks about this idea of building out comm tech or comms tech as a separate stack of technologies outside of marketing technology, um, you know, made up of technology that's there to help the communicators because 
the job has gone so far beyond traditional PR, where it's like, well, we're going to put something out, we hope to get it picked up, you know, we're looking at impressions and things like that, to really trying to control the narrative um, across multiple touch points, um, and trying to stay ahead of things. And so it's really fascinating from a content perspective, how you know, the communicators can wield that as a, as a, as a weapon to, you know, to make sure that their message is being heard and, and things are staying on point. Um, when you think about the role of content, um, you know, in the Capgemini world, you know, start it with the communication side all the way down to the marketing side. Like, what role does content play within the organization? And maybe more specifically, like, what are the business metrics that you're looking to move or advance with content? Yeah, I so I I love talking about this space. So um, that's why I, that's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, the I guess if you if you step back for a moment, I mean, ultimately, what we're trying to do um, is establish a brand in a in a very large country in a very competitive and crowded space for Capgemini. Um, we serve every major industry. And our services run the gamut from, you know, supply chain and cloud and digital um, all the way through to your infrastructure and, and ERP systems. Um, so it's it's not like you can pick one, two or three areas and just focus on on establishing uh, a thought leadership position there. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've we've got to be strong across every industry and every capability that we have. Um in order to drive our business. So if you think of that as kind of the mindshare side of the house, building up mindshare yeah. um, for Capgemini, we also have to balance that against market share. And um, I mean, what the sales team needs to do and our account executives that are working with these major companies is understand exactly uh, when is the right time to engage uh, a company that we either are working with, but maybe we don't, we don't already have a relationship with a different buying center. Let's say we're working for the CIO, but we want to be working with the CMO. When is the right time to engage that CMO? Um, and just like you mentioned, the, the Comtech stack, I mean, there's a MarTech stack that's become very, uh, um, uh, progress, it has progressed significantly over the last few years where we can now actually uh, look at how to match up buyer intent with propensity to buy and reach out to them at the exact right time when they want to be engaged by somebody instead of just pushing out content mm-hmm. um, to the masses. So um, if to bring it back to your question, we have to think about content both in the sense of establishing a, a, a thought leadership, but also ensuring that we've got a really strong persuasive message that um, persuades somebody that either doesn't know that we, we offer some additional services or they've never heard of Capgemini, um, or they even like Capgemini already, and they know we do a good job with this, but they need to create a business case for a broader group of people. Being able to, to create content for each different situation like that becomes key. And so us being able to you know, slice and repackage and customize content on a, on a very quick turnaround, um, for us to be able to create content um, across very different channels. And where it gets kind of interesting to your last question about having marketing and communications together, suddenly we're in a position now where all of the media pitches that are happening are proactive, us going out and trying to get journalists to write about certain topics, mm-hmm. uh, along with us you know, jumping on to trends that we're seeing where we have a strong voice. Um, 
also applies to the content that we're creating that we want to push out in the sales channel. And so, totally. you know, we we meet um, on a, a certainly twice a week regularly, but it, often we're talking every single day with my head of campaigns and my head of communications together and understanding what's happening on each side of the house and where the other can help. And that's that's become really critical. Um, and I think where you were headed with this is, I mean, there are the communication side of the house is starting to adapt and bring on new MarTech partners. Um, I mean, you and I were talking just before this, we were, I had a, a meeting with our group marketing folks that were having a conversation with Notch and um, talking through some potential ways that we could we could uh, bring on a partner that's going to help with both paid media and own media and explore mm-hmm. some of the use cases for that. And it ended up being, uh, I mean, we were joking about how complex an organization is and you've got to get different stakeholders aligned around a common vision. It, what what I think you can do now, based on how advanced so many uh, platforms are today, is you can run pilots quickly, prove a you know a, a the the ROI of that, and then take it into some additional use cases. And so we see we do a lot of that in North America. We run we run pilots to understand what's what type of results we're going to get, how it fits into our model. If it doesn't fit into our model, is it something that we want to invest in? And maybe bring in talent that can help drive that, um, but it's an awfully exciting time to be in marketing and communications because so much is available to us now. I mean, it's not hard. If you look at everybody has shifted to a work from home remote environment, the way that you create corporate videos, um, informational videos, thought leadership videos is very different. Mm-hmm. And so, I it, but but it's now so much easier than it was just a few years ago, and. And what you can turn around in just a short amount of time to package it up in a really powerful way and then measure what the effectiveness is. I mean, what what are people interacting with? Rapidly change the the messaging, whether it's video or social or or written brochures or research papers. I mean, it's just such a a compelling and exciting time. And and for us, I mean, the what's really opened up now is for us to be able to look at Instead of, you know, in the past, we would say we have a new offer that's that's come out. Um, let's call it a, a new cloud assessment that we're helping clients with. And we look at our clients that exist within each of our sectors and we look at clients that are companies that we want to work with. And we think through whether it makes sense to try and, and package up something for them that would persuade them to want to work with us. Now we have the ability to look at data and and say, you know what, I know for a fact that that person and the five key decision makers around him or her are both searching for uh, content related to this topic. And Mm -hmm. based on their existing tech stack, they have a high likelihood to buy it. And when you can put the right content in front of the right group at the right time, now you're, you're suddenly in a place where the the conversations you're having with them are never wasted. And it's just such a, I mean, it's such a pivot from where marketing has been historically, at least in B2B services. For sure. Um, it's, it's just, it's amazing. And I, I mean, I, uh, for us, the, the COVID, the response to COVID-19, everybody's shifting to work from home. There are no more physical events for the current time. Everybody that you're selling to is working from home and dealing with the same distractions that we all are it became really critical for us to 
double down on our digital strategy and our our martech and comtech uh stack and and really think about where the future is because it's i i mean no offense to our alliance partners but but these major <laughs> events where you throw up a booth and you try and get leads from people coming to your booth are gone yeah. it's never we're never going to go back to that as the the major focus yeah no which hopefully will be a move in the right direction for everyone yeah, um, so Talk us through um, the way that your content team is put together, um, what it looks like, and, and what were you looking for when you were building that out for from the individuals, like you know when you were hiring, and like what were you looking for from a talent perspective? Yeah, um, so I have, I mean, our comms team and our our content team work very closely together. On the content team, um, it rolls up to our campaigns lead, so she is thinking at all times. How do you create a you know a multi-channel um, complex um, series of touch points with a customer and and what's needed at each step of the way? Mm-hmm. And we've got a number of writers that come from a journalism background that sit under her. We've got um, social media specialists that think through how to plan social campaigns. Um, we've also got program managers that that ensure that everybody's talking to each other and then. Uh, field marketers that they work with in order to to either bring in a sector lens or a you know a capability lens, and then on the communication side of the house, we've got um, a lot of really strong PR specialists that also come from a journalism background. Um, we've got internal communication specialists, and where it it gets interesting is is where you can match up something that you're seeing with resonance in the marketplace. It's getting a lot of coverage from, from media and analysts and advisors. Um, or where, where, and this is where that kind of that behavioral marketing aspect that I mentioned mm-hmm. comes, we're able to see what's resonating in the market often before even an analyst would, would see it show up in, let's say an increase in inquiries that they're getting around a specific topic. We're seeing it happen in real time and we can advise the business on the types of capab- capabilities that they need to develop or the offers that we need to invest in. Um, but us as a marketing team, we can then take that to, let's say, the external communications team and say, this is probably worth a media pitch because we're seeing an influx in, in uh, engagement with this type of content. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I view it as, you know, I think really strong writers are always going to be uh, valuable and and skilled, and those that can write and package content, like a content strategist that that can think through different um, environments and different channels in which you can use that content, are really key. And I I think I mean, I'm a big believer in building out your talent in house, and in the in the sense of you want to hire people pretty close to out of school. I mean, you want, ideally you've got a a talent pipeline of internships, people you hire fresh out of school, people with two to three years of experience that you bring in and you teach them how you work. You teach the, the, you know, the work ethic and the sense of collaboration and fun uh, and just team overall team support is, is really key. Um, I mean, I, when I first got here and I look back, you know, I, I had to, by nature, because of what we were trying to build, I had to hire quite a few people that have significant experience from outside Capgemini in order to fill these critical roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the, you know, the time it takes to bring somebody into a, a company culture, 
uh, is significant. And you're you're not always you're not going to bat a thousand. Not not every situation works, and and it's impossible to know with with a hundred percent certainty what's going to work. Um, even though you may like somebody personality wise and they have the right skills, it just may not be the right fit. And so we've put a lot more focus over the last eighteen months of building up the internship programs, building up our college hire programs, working with recruiting and HR to ensure that we've got a heavy focus and are, you know, uh, advertising on the right channels and, and making sure that we're highlighting the opportunity. Cause it is, it's a different sell. Like I have a bunch of, you know, uh, sports marketing friends, for example, that are very high up in the industry and they always give me a hard time. And they're like, this is, this is shady. He's our CMO friend, but it's B2B marketing. So it doesn't really count. Yeah, so no one cares about that. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so it's hard to persuade, you know, the best marketing talent in the industry to come work in B2B. Um, but I think this this whole kind of package of bringing marketing and communications together, content into the picture, and have such a well-rounded uh, career path is is what's helped with us. Yeah, and I think it's interesting too, you know, on our side as a, as a technology platform, um, you know, I've been in the startup world for a while, like there's so many smaller companies that get off the ground and they want to go work for the big B2C marketers, you know, the Pepsis, the Fords, the, you know, whatever it might be of the world because of the, you know, the recognition or, you know, whatever it might be like, oh, we, you know, P&G is a client, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, but I've also seen so many companies just be crushed by only working with B2C marketers. And I think that the this is like a, almost like a renaissance for the B2B marketer because um, the more and more that I've gotten to know those marketers and worked with that, work with them closely, uh, I've just gained a greater appreciation of what you can do from a marketing perspective with B2B that I think that just isn't necessarily as widely known or as, as uh, acknowledged as like the B2C, oh, I have a big Super Bowl commercial, you know, type marketer. So right. um, it's good to see that you are, you're riding that wave as well. Yeah, no, I'm honestly, I'm more, this has been the most rewarding time of my career to date. Um, and, and to your point, there are other exciting things that you can do as a marketer. If you want to, you know, you want to create the Super Bowl spot, um, or you want to be the title sponsor of a of the NCAA mm-hmm. March Madness or something. Um, that, and there are that, plenty, and there are plenty <laughs> of consulting companies that sponsor sporting events too. Yes, so that's that, true. I think that's it's probably true. your friends that are just trying to get you to sponsor their next event. I think you know. I I think you're <laughs> onto something there. I think there's there's some truth to that for sure. Uh, but yeah. No, it's it's but it is I think you're right. There is there is sort of a there's been a huge jump in in what B2B marketers are focused on today. I mean, like as I, I mentioned at the top, historically we've just been focused on a very narrow set of capabilities. And that's that's kind of where you hired your talent. And today it's it's become not a not sales support, but as a true growth driver. And when you become the growth driver of a a company that has, you know, more than a quarter of a million employees, it, it starts to get really exciting really quickly. For sure. You mentioned uh, this idea of client experience um, being really important and that marketing teams have to take greater ownership of that. Like that, I think, is obviously a, a integral part of this idea of B2B marketing. Like how have you approached client experience um, specifically as things have changed over the last few months? And like, where do you see that going um, and its importance um, moving forward? It will continue to grow astronomically in importance. Um, so we do every every year, 
we do a big client event out at Pebble Beach where we invite uh, some of our, our closest clients and, and companies that we want to work with. Come play golf. We, we hire some of the best uh, public speakers in, in different areas of our business uh, to come in and share their thoughts on where the industry is headed. And it's always a big hit with our clients, both because, you know, you're in a great environment. You get to play it golf. Doesn't hurt, Pebble Beach. Pebble right. Beach, yeah. That's, that's a, <laughs> that's a part of it for sure. Uh, but being in an environment where you're, you know, you're inspired and you're thinking about, you know, if I'm the CIO of a major financial services institution, thinking about how I can impact my business by investing in AI and, and, um, or blockchain or whatever it is and think through changing the business you're more inclined to have a conversation with uh, a partner like Capgemini of how you might make that uh, reality. And mm -hmm. so it's just a great, it's a great way to develop and strengthen relationships with our clients. Well, obviously this year we're because of COVID-19, we're not bringing everybody out to Pebble Beach. Um, although, and now that I think about it, I guess we could go play some golf. But we're not bringing. You, just we're, do, you should figure out like a virtual <laughs> pebble, pebble, right? Uh, right, kind of a video game. Yeah, exactly. Beach. Everyone goes to an indoor driving range, right? Uh, <laughs> right, and we'll we'll send everyone a bottle of wine. Uh, <laughs> but but instead of that, what we're doing, we are we're sending uh, same people that we would have invited to it um, some some swag, some mm -hmm. gear, some some high quality Capgemini branded gear. Um, but also uh, inviting them to free of charge schedule a, a workshop with us on a topic of their choosing that's related to a, a business pain point that they have, whether it's you know related to intelligent industry and 5G or uh, digital customer experience or cybersecurity. And, and just we'll organize a, a two-hour customized workshop with them uh, to explore and, and look for some potential solutions to what they're dealing with. And I, I really think that that is the future uh, for all of B2B marketing is, I mean, you've got to get really adept at showing value creation for your clients and the people that you want to work with, where you're, you're actually, you know, you're, you're uh, ponying up and ex expect accepting some of the risk of that. We may not end up having a business relationship, but we genuinely care about helping you think through this problem. And if you end up going to somebody else, you go to someone else. but at least you you see that we care about what's best for you. And so as you think about client experience, that means that the types of loyalty programs you have, client advisory councils, ways to continue to, to bring value to their lives uh, and their professions um, so that they appreciate you. And they think when when things go really bad, I know I can count on Capgemini to come in. Um, I, I mean, it, it reminds me of you know, we, we certainly, we have a lot of clients in the hospitality industry, for example, mm -hmm. and, and as things have just, um, uh, uh, you know, put on pause there for a lot of these companies, we felt very proud of the fact that our, our clients, CEOs, CIOs were saying to us, you know, I, I'm finding out now who my true partners are, those that are willing to have a conversation with me about helping to figure a way through this without just, uh, automatically going into protection mode of I've got to I've got to cover my own uh, situation and and um, do what's best for me and so I I really think client experience becomes about value creation and showing true partnership and any way you can do that it's not just events at Pebble Beach it's it's where you're bringing in free of charge 
thought leadership and contributions that are going to help them in their roles. Yeah, it's really about, I mean, like you said, value curation, I always think of it as utility, right? Yeah. It's just like yeah. you, with every action, interaction that you have with a prospect, a, a client, someone who may never ever be a client, who knows, providing them some sort of utility is going to go a long way. And maybe, you know, maybe they don't become a client, but maybe they're friends with someone else who who will become a client down the road. And so there are more ways that you can do that through like workshops or, you know, not we do roundtables with, um, you know, industry leaders that, you know, again, some are clients and some are not. Um, but we want to bring them together and be that facilitator. Um, I think it's really helpful um, in, in this kind of day and age and, and, and moving forward. Hopefully we'll say the same. For sure. Absolutely agree. So I guess last question kind of on that note is, you know, as a, a, a CMO now in the, in the job for three years, um, we talked a little bit about how the role has evolved a bit. Like, where do you think it's going? Um, like, what are the skill sets that the CMO on the B2B side specifically needs to, um, to succeed um, to keep their tenures long um, so we don't see the, uh, the, 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 the short tenures that sometimes we see in, in other uh, parts of the industry? Like, what are those skill sets that you really think need to be hammered home? <laughs> the, the, so my team and I have talked about this quite a bit about, you know, what is the culture that we want to set up on this team and, and, you know, what sort of, uh, programs we would put in place when we hire somebody fresh out of school in order to, to, um, you know, encourage, recognize, reward the types of behaviors that we want to see. And as you look out across the team, so we've got uh, about 65 people on the North America marketing team that I manage. And if you look across those that um, excel versus those that, um, let's say, are, are very good at what they do, but they're, they prefer to just continue to focus on that, you see, you start to see some trends in the way that people problem solve, the way they, they look at an issue and try to work around an obstacle. Um, that could be a difficult personality, that could be you know a senior executive that's not responding um, on something that you need in order to, to move it forward. Um, it could be, you know, you're, you've run out of budget, um, and, and you need to find a way to, to pull in some other people in order to, to make a major initiative happen. It, it really does require a sense of, uh, creativity, certainly, but, but energy, um, and, and the way that you, you view people. Um, I mean, you, you kind of hinted at this on the client experience point, which is at the end of the day, we're, we're all humans, right? And you want to work with people that you enjoy having a conversation with and that, that um, are, are not selfish. And so the, the team of the future, I almost think like when I, I waited tables, uh, so I was a waiter during college. And I, if I think of everything that I've done, that gave me the best <laughs> prep for being a CMO I say that to, I say that to everyone. I, I, <laughs> I say know. everyone everyone should spend some time in the service industry. It's um, true. I know I did. Uh, it, it teaches you a lot, um, and then maybe becoming a struggling actor for a while too, because that <laughs> right. also teaches you a lot. It's a lot of grit, basically, that comes right. through. But yeah, well, that but that's. I mean, we're laughing, but that's true. I mean, it's. I mean, it's grit, really, because I don't. I mean, the, it doesn't matter if you're the smartest person in the world within your specific area of expertise, if at the end of the day, you're not a team player. You're not coming in to help the team realize a vision that's that's bigger than yourself. 
then it's never it's never going to work. You're you're just not going to have a long term career. Um, I you know I don't know if we can we curse on this. I would say there's a no assholes. Yeah, rule. I don't think this is I don't think this is not a major network TV, so we should <laughs> okay. be okay. Yeah. I mean, there's a, I think there, a no assholes rule is is really important. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're if you're looking out for yourself, it's not going to work here long term. Um, and so as I, I mean, if you said what skills are going to be most important, it's, it's collaboration and, and, and team building and, um, you know, selflessness, empathy. Yeah, exactly. Um, because I, I would rather build a team around just really strong, um, team players than a team of individual rock stars, um, any day of the, of the week. So um, that's, that's typically what I'm looking for. And, and I think the second thing I would look for like when I'm interviewing people is I I'm curious if they have a, you know, a point of view on something. I, I don't even care if I agree with the point of view, <laughs> but if someone comes in and says, you know, I've been thinking about this problem and here's what I think about it. That's, that's interesting to me because that facilitates a conversation. And in my experience with, um, uh, you know, large global company is, most people will um, get on the train if you give them, uh, if you lay out the, the the reasoning for why we're doing this in marketing or communications. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes somebody will say, yeah, 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 I, I see what your point, but I actually want to go do this instead. That's that's fine. But generally, as long as somebody understands where you're coming from and, and um, sees the type of behavior and the culture that you have on your team, they're, they're willing to go along with it. So I think just I, I I look for people that have a strong point of view on on something anything uh, because to me it shows that they've got critical thinking skills that that um, they actually do take pride in their work and and care about doing a good job and that's that's what I think we're going to look for I I mean the the content I mean I don't I come from a communications background so I probably take it for granted but being able to write well. Um, is super critical. Somebody that can write well and speak well in the marketing world is is really key. We, I mean, I, I must have to do, I don't know, a half dozen presentations each day, um, ranging in, in different audiences and purposes for that. But you have to be able to to speak well as well as write well. You could get away with doing one really well and not the other, but if you want to be a well-rounded communications and marketing professional, you're going to have to learn how to do both really well. So I think I, I would, I'd probably put communications first and foremost as a thing mm-hmm. of the future. Got it. So two main things straight from Shade's mouth, hire correctly, hire a good team and know how to write and, and speak. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Those are, those are the skills of the CMO of the future, which I think is good um, because those are very, uh, yeah, I, I, you say a lot about your character and the way you think about things by saying, hey, the number one skill is I need to hire good people, right? Yeah. Uh, it's a great way of thinking about it. So with that, uh, we'll wrap up the conversation. Um, Shade, thanks so much for joining. Um, really appreciate it. Hopefully the uh, the listeners appreciate the insights um, and uh, we'll be posting this on LinkedIn and whatnot. I'm sure there'll be banter and conversation there so you can engage with some of them there if you'd like. It's been great, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Pros and Content. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Shade Vaughn, the North American Chief Marketing Officer of Capgemini. I loved hearing about Shade's background in communications versus his work in marketing, and how he recognizes each department's relative strengths and opportunity for collaboration. 
especially when they can both use and execute on content effectively. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you have any suggestions or feedback, you can find me at ray at notch.com. Visit us at prosandcontent.co to find more amazing content about, well, content. And tune in next time on Pros and Content. Thank you.